0: I want to ask you a question. Now, it's a rhetorical question, so don't put your answer in the chat. Just think about the answer uh, in your own head. Uh, try and give it an answer though. Uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? How would you answer that question? Unfortunately, the image of what, it, what a Christian is, that's been projected by churches for some time, has not necessarily been a good one those looking on at churches might say something like this they might say to be a christian means thinking you're better than other people it means being judgmental looking down your nose at others a bit holier than that that's what some people might say looking at churches others looking on might be more positive but still a negative impression being a christian means being a bit bland a bit beige a bit bit insipid a bit boring nice yes but, but not, not much fun. It's a dated way of living. Others would look at um, Christians and, and take a much stronger response to that. Others would look and say, to be a Christian is something dangerous. To be a Christian is, is to be a fundamentalist. It's, it's to hold uh, radical views that oppress people, that do harm to people. Those who seek to live as a Christian uh, have their joy sapped from them. It's life stealing being a Christian. Now, others who who say they're Christians might say something like this, perhaps in response to those impressions that people get by looking at the church. And I'd say, to be a Christian is um, to be into Jesus. But they might say, I'm into Jesus. But I'm not into the church. That's what being a Christian means. It just means being into Jesus. But that whole church thing, I'm not interested in that. And others, and I know I've know i known a fair few in this category, might say something like this. To be a Christian is simply about being forgiven. You, you pray the prayer and then that's it. You've got your ticket to heaven. You're not going to go to hell. You've got your, your get out of jail free card, which you can show when you need to when you die. But it means nothing between praying that prayer and getting to that point. Simply about praying that prayer. Now, last week, we saw Peter's great sermon pointing the the Jews that had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, pointing them to their long awaited Messiah who had been crucified. And in response to that sermon, just have a look with me at what happened. Look in um, Acts chapter two. And from verse 37. So Peter, preached this sermon. Just turn with me to Acts chapter 2 from verse 37. And I'll read that in a sec. Just give you a minute to find it. So Peter preached this great sermon. And then verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3000 were added to their number that day. They were exposed through Peter's sermon to the good news about Jesus. And as they were, they were cut to the heart. They realised that they had rejected the God who had made them. And so they responded in the way that they'd been called to. They trusted Jesus and they received forgiveness and they received rescue from the consequences of that rejection of God. That's what it means to be saved. They were saved from sin and saved from the eternal consequences of sin. But, biblically speaking, although being saved from sin is a vital part of what it means to be a Christian, it's far from the complete picture. What does it mean to be a Christian? Certainly, the answer starts with being saved from sin. And if you haven't started there yet, if you're sitting and listening in this evening and you haven't started there, let me tell you that there is nothing easier than coming to Jesus for forgiveness. Laying down your burdens and your guilt and your, your mistakes and those dark places in your heart that you know are there. Admitting that you've rejected God and receiving his full and free and liberating gift of forgiveness. That's so easy to do. You can do it right now where you're sitting by. Just bring it to God and he'll take that and he promises he'll forgive you. But that's just the beginning. We're saved from sin. But we're saved for what? Because being a Christian isn't just about what we're saved from. It's what we're saved for. And we saw part of the answer to this question last week. We're saved for being filled with the Holy Spirit. But this week, we're just going to add a little bit more flesh to that answer. I sometimes um, imagine it a bit like this. Uh, Just use your imagination for a second. I know it's late, but try your best. Um, When you're deciding whether or not to become a Christian, it's like facing a door. Around you and within you is the person and the life that you've been leading ever since you were born. And being um, saved from your sin, justification, got Jesus taking your sin and giving you his perfect record. That's a one time event. It's stepping through that door. That's what happens when you become a Christian. Your sin is gone. You're given Jesus's perfect record. But you step through that door and you emerge into a whole new world, a whole new life. Being a Christian isn't solely about that first step through the door. However wonderful and generous of God and and however necessary and totally mind-blowing that moment is, when we step through that door, put our trust in Jesus for the first time, we are saved from sin. But what we've stepped into on the other side of that door is something bigger and more radical and more all-encompassing than we could ever imagine. We're saved from sin, but we're saved for what? What's through the door? Well, there are absolutely loads of things we could say in answer to that question. And in Acts chapter two, verse 42 to 47, our passage for today, we get one of the most famous, one of the most concise answers to that question. It doesn't tell us everything that there is to say by any means. Read the whole of the Bible and then read it again and again because you'll constantly get more about what it means. But you get a really great place to start in these few verses here. So um, open up your Bible again if you closed it and and look with me at Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so we're going to see from this passage, four things that we are saved for as Christians. Four answers to the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Now, to be extra corny, these four things are all going to begin with the letter W. Hopefully it'll help you to remember them a bit. One of them doesn't really work with the letter W. I won't tell you which one. You can figure that out. But four things, beginning with W, that it means to be a Christian. So the first one is this. Word. Word. Acts 2. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, to remind you, Jesus has ascended. He's gone back to heaven. He's poured out the Holy Spirit on his 120 followers. Peter has stood up and he's preached his famous sermon, and the Spirit has moved. From that 120, The church in Jerusalem has exploded. 2,500% increase off the back of that one sermon, with around 3,000 people added on that day of Pentecost. 3,000 people saved from sin, given the spirit, and then what? Well, first, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, Just to be clear, at this stage, the apostles were the 12 men who were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus and who had been chosen by Jesus to be special messengers in these foundational stages of the New Testament church. Later on in Acts, Jesus will appear to a man called Saul. Who will become a Christian in dramatic circumstances, who will be given the new name, Paul, and who also will be given the task of being an apostle. These men were given a special responsibility of proclaiming and preserving the good news of Jesus. They maintained the accuracy of the message for that early church, and then their teaching was recorded. And has been passed down through the generations. And it's what we now call the New Testament. That's the Apostles' teaching. And so these words remain for us as the only true, reliable, authoritative and accurate account of who God is and how we are to relate to him. That's why the Bible is so precious. That's why one of our seven values as Grace Church is that we are rooted in the word. But for these early Christians in Acts chapter two, in this, in this new church, they didn't have the, the New Testament as we have it written today. Instead, they had the apostles themselves there teaching them, pointing them to Jesus, reminding them what Jesus had done for them opening up the Old Testament and showing them how it pointed to Jesus and how it was all fulfilled in him, teaching them what it looked like to be one of Jesus's followers. And so they were receiving all of this teaching from the apostles and and were told in Acts 2, verse 42, that they were devoted to this teaching. Devoted. That's a strong word, isn't it? not a word we use often, and it's not perhaps a word that many of us could use when we're talking about the Bible. Devoted meant that they were keen to have every opportunity that they could to engage with it. They wanted to listen, to learn, and more than that, it meant that they wanted that teaching that they were hearing to reshape who they were. How they lived, how they understood themselves, their world, their God. They wanted all of that to be reshaped by the apostles teaching. They were devoted to it. You see, when we are saved from sin, when we step through that door of forgiveness into this whole new world, the first thing we're saved for is word. Word. Devotion to the word means letting what God reveals to us in the Bible reorientate the whole of our lives towards God. It means that we regularly mine the Bible because we believe that in it are precious riches for us to discover. It means picking over the Bible, searching for every scrap of meat we can find to sustain us, to to build us up, to give us strength. Devotion to the word means taking opportunities to immerse ourselves in the word, be that on Sundays, in life group discussions, in in one to ones, in our daily lives by reading the Bible, through listening to to Christian music that's, that's rich with biblical truth, listening to podcasts about the word, chatting with others as we walk, as we eat. That's what it means to be devoted to the word. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, not because they ought to be. It wasn't that they thought it was a bit of a burden, but they did it anyway because they thought they should. No, they were convinced that what the apostles were teaching them was like gold dust. You see, they recognised that in these precious words, they would find life and joy and Hope and freedom and perspective and and true satisfaction. God is the one who created us. He is the one who knows us better than we can even know ourselves. And he has revealed himself to us and ourselves to us in his word. And so they devoted themselves to his word. They sought to look into every area of life through the lens of the apostles teaching. And as they did, so they allowed God to reorientate each part of their lives towards himself. Family, work, rest, relationships, use of money, use of time, self-identity. Devotion to the word means letting it reshape the way we see all of these things and more everything we can think of to, to be devoted to the apostles teaching means not leaving a single stone unturned it means let every let every single aspect of our lives come under the kind and warm but penetrating and deeply revolutionary gaze of God, as his word applies the good news of Jesus to every single part of our lives, of of all we are and all we do. And as he does that, we find those things that he promises in his word. Joy, hope, rest, life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the world that we enter as we step through that door. At least that's the first thing, word. The second is welcome and so we're told in verse 42 that they were committed to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship that word fellowship simply means a common life a shared life they were committed to this kind of shared life together now this is the point that really flies in the face of that idea of i'm into jesus but i'm not into the church i do get that idea the church, historically, and, and no doubt currently in, in various ways, it has done some really awful things. It's easy to want to distance ourselves from it. For some, that's really personal. For some people, the church or people in the church have done things that have caused, caused hurt, scars and suffering, or at least has caused them to struggle to trust the church anymore. We need to acknowledge these things. We need to apologise where we ourselves are guilty of that. We need to put things in place to prevent these kind of things from happening again. But we can't throw the baby out with the on because in the Bible there is no getting away from the fact that when we are saved from sin, we are saved for fellowship. We're brought into a new family welcomed into a new people with him we're called to share our lives in a deep and actually when it's done according to the bible in a really beautiful way just look at some of the ways in these short verses that this fellowship this this shared life was being expressed in these very early days of the church look from verse 44 again All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You see, in this new family called by Jesus, there is a practical care for one another. Now, we're not meant to read into this that everyone sold everything they had and no one owned anything at all. That's clearly not the case in Acts or in the rest of the New Testament. For example, you see people meeting in people's homes. Well, if everyone had sold everyone, everything, no one would have homes to meet in. But let's not lose the impact of this, because what's going on here is a, a kind of ongoing, a practical care for one another. It's a self sacrificial generosity. That meant that no one found themselves desperate, because others sought to meet their needs. When someone found themselves struggling, others rallied together to support them in the most practical, loving way possible. Now, that looks different in different situations. But you can see that this is proper family living. There is real, practical care for one another. Now, to encourage you, this is something that I see going on in West Church. I could list many examples of this taking place. Being on the receiving end of this throughout my Christian life is something that has been, it's had a huge impact on me. So I think of a time when I was a teenager, when um, I have needed a new coat for a while. And so um, I went to town with some friends with some birthday money that I had and, and I bought a new coat. And after that, we went and I think we had a McDonald's together. We were sitting around together chatting with my bag on the chair. And and we were so engrossed in conversation. that I didn't realise that someone had walked past, picked up my bag and walked off with it. Now, some people, um, a couple in the church who actually were pretty poor, Found out what had happened, and they gave me the money to replace the stolen court. They told me that they had been given some money and that they wanted to pass that money on and to bless me. And uh, looking back, I think that was probably called. I think they realized that everything they had was from God, and so they talked about this money as being given to them and they wanted to pass it on to bless someone else. But that sacrificial generosity on their part was really significant for me. I think about when I got married. Now, for our um, first year of marriage, Kathy and I were pretty poor for that first year, and we relied on the support of others um, to pay Kathy's wage. Her entire wage was made up of of donations because she was doing voluntary work for a charity that year. We got um, married in July, and at the point that we got married, I'd say less than 10% of what was needed had been raised. We prayed. And amazingly, generously, through people in our church and through churches that we'd previously been in, by Cathy's start date, just kind of just over a month later, all the money had been raised. What was so powerful about that was both the great number of people who gave small amounts to make that happen also a few individuals who just blew us away with their generosity. They were aware of our situation and even though they themselves had pretty tight budgets, they were overwhelmingly rich in their generosity towards us. It really moved us and actually it still does when I think about it. When we come to know God, when we're saved from sin, We are saved for welcome, welcome into a new family where there is real, sacrificial, practical care for one another, often expressed in very generous ways. But this kind of care for each other can only happen when we know each other. When we're involved in each other's lives to an extent where we know where the pain points are in each other's lives so that we're able to meet those needs. You can't meet a need that you don't know is there. And so you'll see in these verses that fellowship, common life, family life for these early Christians involved a regular sharing of life. Look at verse 46 every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They brought bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They met when they were out and about in the temple courts. They came into each other's homes. They ate together. I think that's what breaking bread is talking about in verse 46, as well as verse 42. Although that might be referring to sharing communion together, which is a really important part of church life as well. But it's clear that They were in the regular habit of eating together. These Christians in the early church were saved from sin and saved for welcome. Welcome into a new family where they lived side by side, providing for each other's needs, practising hospitality, eating together. They had multiple touch points in the week. Daily, it says here, so that they could express the welcome and the family life that they were created and saved for. That is the world that we're invited to when we step through that door of salvation. Here in Grace Church, one of our values is that we want to be intentional about authentic community. Here in Acts 2, we see that being played out. They went out of their way to to share life to be real with one another, and so to help each other out when we were in need. This is a, a far cry from that view of Christianity that is um, into Jesus, but not the church. We're saved for a profound community life. As we look at Britain in the 21st century, we see frightening levels of loneliness, of isolation, of Desperation and the gospel offers something here. In Grace Church, our life groups are the context in which we strive to see this welcome take place. We want our life groups to be places where we share life, where we care for one another. We want them to be places where we eat together, where we meet up, where we know the struggles and the joys of each other's lives so that we can do what we can, when we can, to help each other practically, emotionally, spiritually. We want them to be places where new people can come in and experience the welcome of the gospel. Not just in the weekly life group gathering, although we definitely want those gatherings to be places of welcome for all. But as we share life throughout the week, just like they did in Acts 2. Now on that, we've got something uh, coming up in the Life of Grace Church uh, that is designed to kind of kickstart this welcome once restrictions are eased. And to give you um, a break from my voice for a couple of minutes, Amy is just going to tell us a little bit about, um, about that thing that's coming up.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, Yeah, so you probably noticed over the last year we've run a a lot more events than we normally would. Um, We've done loads and loads of Zoom events, mainly because these have been sort of a brilliant way to sort of invite people to look into Jesus sort of through COVID. It's been a really exciting opportunity for us. Um, But the way we've sort of always seen the going of the gospel going out as a shit is um, to our life group. So we talk about being um, intentional about authentic community and um, on mission together. Um, and they, those sort of things happen in a life group. So um, in May, just before the restrictions change from um, six people in the garden to 30 people in a garden, we're going to have an event um, to, designed for all those people who have connected with Grace Church in some way through Zoom over the over the pandemic. It's going to be a, a life after COVID event um, with the sort of specific title of connecting with community. And it's going to be an event just like sort of the other living through COVID events we've done. There'll be sort of um, the five minute PowerPoint questions to think about at the beginning. There'll be a talk. There'll be... Um, and then instead of a QA, we'll have an invitation to live groups the next week. And um, so it's a really exciting opportunity for the, for the following week, um, our live groups to be able to invite anyone who is sort of connected in with, uh, with different events throughout um, Grace Church, but specifically anyone who's come along to that event. And um, we'll do quite a hard sell of life group, we're going to have a video with lots of people talking about why they love life group, there'll be a, a direct invitation to everyone at the event to, to come along to a life group. And then it'll be down to sort of the individual life groups to see how they want to follow that up. Um, but we've deliberately decided not to have a Q&A. and um, a so that the next week at live group we can talk about the, what was talked about at the event, so that everyone who was there can can join in, and they don't need any sort of um, extra knowledge or, or understanding of the Bible, they'll they'll be able to directly talk about what they've talked about at the event, but also um, helps them get used to the fact that at live group that's a normal part because often. I think we can struggle with that gap of like, oh, they've come to a picnic um, and they'd be fine with the Meal for Life group. But how do they do the Bible study? Well, this is a really easy sort of like, oh, we'll get used to talking about things with Christians, with, with non-Christians and um, talking about things that we've all sort of had a common um, talk on. So so that's the, the sort of two events coming up in May. Um, so the 19th of May is the, the Day of Your Diary. That is the Zoom event um, connecting with community at the 8 till nine. Um, on Zoom. And then the following week, there'll be a sort of big push on live group follow up to sort of invite people into the communities, into the people they've seen online, into the sort of life of Grace Church as it sort of would be outside of COVID. And so, yeah, it's a really exciting opportunity. Um, thanks, everyone.
0: Fab. Uh, thanks, Amy. So, um, we're, we're coming into the home have we've, we've looked at we're saved from sin, we're saved for word, welcome. And thirdly, we're saved for worship. Sin at its heart is a turning away from God. To sin is to reject God. It's to say, I'm gonna take this world and my life and all of the good good things you've given me in this world I'm going to take them. I'm going to enjoy them for myself and I'm going to do it without reference, without thanks to you, the giver, the God who made me, who, who, who gave me these things and loves me. I'm going to take those things and ignore you. And so to be saved from sin is to turn from that attitude. It's to turn from sin and to turn back towards God. It's to enjoy relationship with him again. It's to put him back in his rightful place, the place where we depend on him, where we enjoy him, where we know and love and trust him as he loves us and pours out his generosity on us. us. And so it's no surprise that as we look at this fledgling church in Acts chapter 2, that when we see them saved from sin, we see them saved for worship for relationship with God, for the joy and the privilege of knowing him. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 43, they're filled with awe as they see God at work. Verse 46, as they share life, as they are filled with joy and rightly ascribe this to God, then in verse 47, they praise him we're saved from sin, and we're saved for worship. And so central to this, to the life of this brand new church in Jerusalem are expressions of worship, expressions of relationship with God. We're talking about what, what is a Christian, what it means to be a Christian. This has to be core to it. These Jerusalem Christians as individuals and together, knew God. They had a dynamic relationship with God, which means that they lived life alongside him. They spoke to him in prayer. They praised him. They were filled with a sense of awe as they saw God at work amongst them through the apostles. They were filled with praise of God as they saw God forming them into this tight-knit community that they were designed to live in. Here, Here at Grace Church, another of our values is that we want to be dependent in prayer. Again, this isn't just something that we think we ought to do. This is a privilege of the Christian life. It's an overflow of the joy that we experience of being in this new world that we've stepped into through that door. Being a Christian, being part of the church, isn't simply a horizontal thing. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that as we practice welcome, as we eat together, share life, seek to meet each other's needs, and as we commit ourselves to the word, as we dig into it, as we allow it to reshape our lives, it would be all too easy to do all of that without reference to God. We could seek to live in deeply authentic community. We could have deep and impressive knowledge of the word. And it could all simply be a human endeavor. All done horizontally without reference to the God who made it all possible through the gospel and the God who is making it all happen through his spirit. But if sin at its heart, is turning away from God, then if we're doing all of these things, however great they are, without reference to God, without relationship with him, then it's still sin, however good they seem. But to be be a Christian means to be saved from sin and for worship. Without fostering this relationship with God, without expressing praise and dependence and joy and awe as we go about living this Christian life, then it's not actually a Christian life. It's just life. God needs to be present in it. He needs to be recognised to be present in it. And the Christian life that we get a glimpse of here in Acts 2 is so much better than that horizontal picture that we sometimes experience as they meet in homes as they eat together as they practically practically care for each other as they see extraordinary things happen there is a constant consciousness of the reality that god is the one making this happen why are they conscious of it because it's a regular part of their life together And so when they experience something amazing, they don't just talk to each other about how amazing it is. They praise God there and then, together. When something difficult comes up, they don't simply kind of work it out and put practical things in place to to sort it out. They pray about it. When they experience the welcome of this Christian family that God has brought them into, they don't just enjoy it. They express that joy to God. In, in conversations, they give God the credit for the way he's been at work. God is worshipped in this early Christian church. He's worshipped because he's part of their everyday life through talking about him, through praising him, through praying to him, through marvelling out loud to one another at who he is, at what he's done and at what he's doing. What might that mean for you? How might there be cultural shifts in in how you talk, especially when you're with other Christians? How might you incorporate prayer more when you're chatting to others about issues? How might you, when hearing good news, ensure that together you remember that it is God who is to be praised? He is to be thanked. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means word, allowing the Bible to reorientate your view of everything. It means welcome, being part of a new family where life is shared, where genuine, practical, self-sacrificial care is experienced. It means worship, a dynamic relationship with God to whom we pray, who is rightly at the centre of who we are and what we do, who we give thanks to and pray And finally, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means witness. Look with me from verse 46. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They brought bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, as I was um, preparing this talk, my mind was taken back to an email that I sent when I was about kind of 14 or 15 years old. I tried to find it, but it wasn't there. So I can't tell you exactly when it was. Ever since becoming a Christian, my heart, my, uh, God has put on my heart a uh, a passion or a burden or whatever you want to call it for evangelism for for giving people who don't know Jesus the opportunity to hear the good news of him I remembered as a teen I'd um I'd even planned out kind of exactly what I was going to write in my book on evangelism now that book has never come about it never will come about but that just shows the way that my mind worked and whenever I was at a, any kind of Christian event, be that church meeting or whatever it was, I would only be half listening for what it meant for me, because the other half of me was thinking about how someone who didn't know Jesus might be hearing this and how they might be receiving it and what kind of might not be working for them. Anyway, this email that I sent, um, it was pages and pages long. And it was to the pastor of my church at the time, I'm sure he loved receiving it. And um, As I'd been kind of pondering the outreach of the church at the time, I'd come up in my mind with this incredible strategy, or or so I thought. I thought about all the different stages that someone might need to go through to become a Christian. And as I looked at the different things that the church was doing, I thought about the places where there were gaps, the places where there might be, it might be difficult for someone to move on from one stage of thinking about Christianity to another. And then <laughs> I came up with this really kind of convoluted, streamlined series of events or meetings or, or whatever it was that would mean that there was a seamless journey for anyone to become a Christian. And this wasn't just kind of one flow chart that everyone went through. Oh, no. If there was one for young people, there was one for older people, there was one for all sorts of different types of people and there was overlapping things. It was very ridiculous. Um, anyway, now there was there's probably some benefit in that kind of thinking. And I still think in some of those ways, but in a far less complex way for Grace Church. But what I've become convinced of since then is something a bit different to that. Here's what we see in Acts chapter two. It's not rocket science. When the gospel is preached and shared, when the word is transforming people, when welcome is a reality with real sharing of life, with genuine sacrificial care for one another, when God is worshipped through praising him when we're together, through praying to him, through expressing joy, and when those who don't know Jesus are invited in to be part of this, to witness it, to get a, a taste of it, and to hear of what God is doing, then here's what happens. Verse 47. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Now, we haven't seen new Christians daily here in Grace Church but then again there aren't over 3,000 of us uh, doing this witnessing thing but hasn't it been wonderful to see God working for those of you who've been around a while and for those of you who have just joined us I hope you'll get to see this too to see God adding to our number as people come into Grace Church as they hear the gospel being shared as they see the word transforming as they experience welcome lived out in life groups and as they say, God being worshipped, God uses this witness to open eyes to the good news that was an offer to them, too. It's not rocket science. Spirit moves. People are saved. Saved from sin. Saved for word. Welcome. Worship and witness. Isn't it wonderful to see this happening? Let's press into this more and more. Let's pursue and enjoy these privileges that we're saved for. Let's be expectant to see God at work in our lives, in our church and in our town. Let me pray that the spirit would work in each of us to become more the people that we're called to be. Let me pray. Father, when we look at the church, it just seems so unlikely. <laughs> uh, it seems like we would never design it the way it, has, the way it is. We would never think it would grow. We would, never, we would never think this kind of very simple strategy would work. But thank you that you do save us. You save us from sin. And as you do, you bring us into a, a, a new world where we can engage with your word and have our lives transformed, reorientated towards you. Thank you that you 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 save us for welcome. You bring us into a community where we, where we will be cared for and where we can care for others as we share life together. Thank you that you save us. From sin to know you, to worship you, to, to express that together and in our own lives, that we're no longer wandering from you, but we're, we're, we're turned towards you. And as, and as we live this life out together, Lord. Thank you for the witness that that is, that your spirit uses this gospel shared in these communities as we worship you and are transformed by your word. That your your spirit uses that in more and more people to, to bring them into this family. Lord, it's not necessarily how we would design it. And yet you and your wisdom have called us to this. We praise you and we thank you for the ways we've been able to experience this ourselves. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to press into this more and more. That we would seek to to live this out and to enjoy living this out. And that it would all be for your glory.